Hi folks, a very warm welcome again to our latest Generation podcast, the podcast that talks about really random things, lots of things, especially Mission, and we say Mission with a Scottish accent because we are speaking here from Edinburgh, and it's an opportunity for me to just hang out with a lot of my friends, a lot of our guests, and just talk uh, about things about the gospel, about mission, about the church, about the Bible, really good things. So thanks for joining us. We do see it as a privilege that you're here. Again, we apologize for the sound quality because during the COVID crisis, we are doing most of this, all of us through Zoom. So we don't have the studio quality that we would like. But talking about quality, my guest today is very high quality. And my my guest today is Paul Levy. Paul, very warm welcome. Thank you very, very much. Okay, it's good to have you. Can you tell the folks who may not know exactly who you are, uh, just a few things about you, especially what where your ministry is just now? Um, so uh, I'm the minister of the International Presbyterian Church at Ealing, and I've been here 17 years, actually. And we're in West London, but I'm originally from Swansea in South Wales. I'm married to Claire who's from Northern Ireland, and I've got three children, Noah, Ellie, and Phoebe. Brilliant. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to faith? Yeah. um, So I was brought up in a really godly home. Mum and dad uh, are Christians, and they're first-generation Christians. And I've got um, three older siblings. I've got two older brothers and um, a sister. They're 12 years older and 10 years and 8 years older. So... um, my parents say it was planned, but uh, yeah, well, we'll see. You're, um, you're the baby. Yeah, I'm the baby. And so, and they've been just models of godliness and Christian character. And so I can never remember a time when I wasn't taught about the Lord. The church I was in was a great church that loved me well. And then I got to teenage years. I was, I think I was a little bit rebellious. It was difficult to be rebellious with a, with a father like mine. Um and then I, I say that I kind of rejected the gospel. I still went to church. Um, I still attended family worship with Dan and Mum. And then I went on camp when I was seventeen. I went on camp because there was a girl there that I liked, and there was a guy called Alan Reese who gave his testimony, and he was he was great. And it was through his testimony. It's a really, really. It was a really, really bizarre story. It was typical kind of Welsh camp conversion um and by the end of that um camp I, I i felt i'd come to a saving knowledge of the lord I, i'm not sure whether I, I probably was converted before i was regenerate i everybody gets converted on camp in wales um and i really i i, I really struggled after that to live a christian consistent christian life and so it was gradual i i think i I'd have, I'd have always said I became a Christian at 17, but I think it's it's more muddled than that. And I certainly had the experience of God on that camp. Um, but when I came to faith, I think it's difficult to know. Um, and then gradually through kind of various trials and disasters in education, I think I began to live a Christian, a consistent Christian life. Yeah, can I just, there's some interesting stuff there. I'm really interested with the whole camp phenomenon. Uh, do you think there's an element of which Christian camps can be exploitative? Um, can you unpack your, your thinking now as a mature adult on, you know, 
putting a bunch of kids together in an emotionally charged environment for seven to ten days and talking to them about Jesus. Can you just maybe unpack the positives and negatives about that? The positives of that are friendships, aren't they? And so some of the friends that I made on campus still, some of my kind of finest friends, um, uh, some of the sermons that I heard on campus growing up, I look back, they were, they were, they were powerful. There was an evangelistic focus to the preaching. Um, I think there are some real drawbacks. I think it's a hothouse. And very often you're, you're putting, you know, you, you get somebody who's keen in, 17, 18, 19, and they're, they're told to be a junior leader on camp, not knowing very much at all. And yet, um, covenant children are, are placed under their care and they, they try to kind of get a decision out of them. And so yeah. I think I, there's both positives and real negatives. It seemed to me that people were always converted on the Thursday night, which is slightly odd. Um, and, and, we would make well. I would have made very foolish promises at the end of camp, um, you know, never to sin again, and um, <laughs> I'm going to live wholeheartedly. And so, I think it's, sometimes they were slightly divorced from local church. There's, it's the long slog of youth work, isn't it? Where our young people's leaders model the Christian faith over years and show what consistent Christian living is. I think that's probably more helpful than camps, but um, it's quite unpopular to say so. No, I think it's probably a mixed economy. You know, I yeah. think it is, it is good to have camps and have yeah. that sort of sanctified um, degree of not cynicism, but an awareness of, of all the issues and just not to exploit the situation. Yeah, yeah. the older I get, the less enamoured I am uh, about decisionism. I'm, I'm turning into Ian Murray, I think, in my old age. And it's, it's kind of weird that, you know, uh, do, you, do you find yourself moving to the right or moving to the left as you grow? Uh, there's not, there, there wouldn't be a cynical bone in my body, really. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I, I, yeah, I, I think so. And I, um, it gets depressing, isn't it? I'm sure you've had this as a minister. You you meet a young person and they've grown up in your church and then they come to the elders and speak about how they've been converted and they say, well, I went on camp and I, it, it was as if I'd never heard the gospel before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was, was pretty depressing. Yeah, like my, I suppose my, one of my besetting sins would be, would be being very cynical, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel distinctively Welsh? I mean, I don't think you are your parents Welsh. And my dad's English, and my mum's Welsh. Okay, so how how do you feel about that? Do you, do you <laughs> self-identify as Welsh? Are you one of the Tathia? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I, I would. I would be a. I would be Welsh and British in in that order. Um, I, I'm. I'm not a Welsh speaker, and so. I think you always felt a little bit slightly out of it that you weren't a Welsh speaker. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm an actionist with a small N, so uh, that, you know that means that when I cross the border into Scotland, I always think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm home again. Do you feel the same when you cross the bridge? Yes, I do, but I I love London. Um, so yeah, there's something I I feel I can be myself more when I'm in Wales amongst my oldest friends, you know. But I think that probably is the case for everyone. Um, and I love going, I get terribly homesick after I've been there. I feel a little bit of guilt that I've never ministered in Wales. But 
I really love London and I um I couldn't really imagine in, imagine ministering anywhere else really and th- like my wife's from Northern Ireland so I think there's a bit of um we've kind of compromised on London and here is home yeah. and so I yeah. think it's, it's it's next year I'll have lived in I'll have lived in London as long as I've lived in Wales which yeah, yeah. that's bizarre yeah. Now, I, I, I'm relatively famous for for an expression, you know, in terms of free church, I say we don't do England. Uh, we've got a congregation in London. Now, I always make this argument that London is a different country. And it really is. It's got a different economy. It's got a different demographic. Do you feel that about London? I mean, is, is London England? Um, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I think... Um, would I, yeah, that's an interesting question. There's loads on that. I I don't see it as that distinctive. You've got more people, it's more expensive, and maybe jobs demand more of people. But the, the issues are the same. It's just maybe a bit intensified. So would um, you say that ministry, you know, evangelism, mission in London is exactly the same as it would be in uh, Connecticut? No, no, no. It would be easier, much easier, um, be, be, because you've got um, you've got cultures which are more open to the gospel. Yeah, and so you've got people who are more willing to listen. You've got far more people, and you've got turnover of people, and so people are constantly moving in and out. It's a more transient population, um, and so I do think mission is mission is easier in London. Um, I, I also think within kind of your congregation, the standard of living that people have outside of London, I think, is is often higher. So um, people are housing is so expensive that people are, are not able to do work on their homes. No one's able to live in a detached house. Um, you, you, you can make ends meet, but you're not able to invest in kind of the ideal life. Because right, um, disposable income just doesn't exist then in London, yeah, even if yeah. you're in a hundred k, you know yep. that can be swallowed up. Can, can I talk to you about you know local church ministry? What yep. what do you think is the best form of evangelism in the local church? Um, I wish, yeah, I wish I'd, I'd answer that. It's, we have found. I can speak from my own experience. We have we have only found the kind of acts too that when the church is the church with the the preaching of the word of God at the centre and really kind of applicatory preaching. Um, okay, we, but you've got a church there. You're preaching. You know who comes. You know how how do you get unbelievers coming in? You know like <laughs> you know First Corinthians fourteen. If an unbeliever inquirer comes in, how do they get in? How do they come to the church? So. Um, very often it's it's links with people and so it's uh, people inviting people it's often new folk moving to London we we have seen people coming in through young people's work parent and toddler English language class um, with Japanese ministry so we have Japanese people come that you, you you try everything because nothing works and um <laughs> The Lord brings people as of that. There's, we found Christianity Explored or the courses have never got any traction. Um, and it's been, re- we found the courses have actually had the opposite effect in kind of depressing the congregation a little bit. 
That's um, yeah. mm-hmm. So for us, it's just been the normal, the normal life of the church, really. That that's drawn people in. Um, we do a book table uh, on the street, but that doesn't result in very many people coming in. Um, are, are, are your folk, uh, do they talk about their faith quite easily to non-believers? It's a great question. Silence. What's your sense I, as a minister? My, my, my sense is they would, they would speak about going to church, whether they actually speak about the Lord Jesus to people. And that, that's far more difficult. Isn't it? I find that more difficult, you know? I, um, do they? I th- I think some of them do. Some of them are more gifted at speaking the gospel than others. I think that's fine. Um, but we wouldn't have. We've got a couple of people who are they are gifted evangelists and gifted bringers. Um, they're like gold in a congregation, aren't they? But but that isn't going to be everyone. And I'm I'm really reluctant to lay the kind of evangelistic burden on folk. Um, we give a reason for the hope that's within us. We we want to speak out of hearts that are full of Christ. Um, but I I get really tired. You know, the, the kind of madness of I've made a promise to the Lord of having to speak to somebody about Jesus every day. I, I, yeah. I don't see that. I, I don't see that in the scripture. And, and that is that is gloriously guilt-inducing for um, uh, m- most Christians. It's We're called to live faithful, upright, quiet, godly lives. And, and out of that, opportunities will come and i'm confident that the congregation when those opportunities come do speak about christ but um i just don't know to be honest yeah okay Uh, i want to talk about lots of stuff you guys have just invested in a new building it costs millions (laughs) (laughs) we're still paying for it and if there's any listener there wants a a little donation go on the website and i'm sure Mr. Levy and his friends will, will gratefully receive anything. Did you think yeah. twice about investing millions in a, in a building? And how important are buildings in this day and age? You know, there's a significant yeah. amount of people would say you don't find buildings in the New Testament. It absorbs a lot of resources. You know, the church is a church without walls, literally. Yeah, that's really naive, isn't it? Um, and so you've got to meet somewhere. And so, um, particularly in uh the aftermath of covid how are those how are those people getting on um uh meeting together without buildings renting from schools and all that stuff i i think they they are great they are great tools buildings aren't they for ministry they're awful masters and so um we were paying a fortune in renting a place and what we found is actually being in a community and in a really transient community to have a building says to the local area we we are here permanently we will um uh we will outlive you it's going to be it's not going to be long is it before churches are not able to rent schools and public buildings that um, that 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 is coming and so um you can go to a hotel and pay you know a thousand pound a sunday um in eating or you or you can make a long-term investment for generations to come and so I think about buildings, I think they're really important and they're going to become more important. Um, we, we did think twice over the um, spending millions. Uh, the issue is 
we didn't know how much we'd spend when we started. And so that helped us a lot, I think. Um, and yeah, it's been a really good thing. It's been a good thing for our church. And it's been a good thing for me in that the money comes in because you, you pray and you ask. And, and that actually, I think, has really strengthened my faith in the Lord, really. Um, but we need, we're going to need buildings more and more. Were you worried a little bit when you started it? Did you have sleepless nights over the debt that you were moving into? Um, no, we 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 took out a loan, and so the loan is was nine hundred fifty thousand. We we've got it down in about two years now to about well probably to about six hundred and fifty thousand. Um, I, you know, part of me looks back and wishes we'd never taken the loan, and wishes wishes we'd said. Right, we're gonna we're gonna wait until the Lord um, brings in the money. Um, maybe that's naive, but I I don't think I had sleepless nights. There were times when I was really frustrated and thought, "Is this ever going to happen?" And the planning situation was really convoluted, and our first architects didn't do very well, and we had to replace them. And so there were lots of kind of frustrations. But but actually, if you're in it for the long haul. It's it's worth getting right. There there are are there loads of very very bad church building projects um, that have been rushed, and you're you're better off waiting and, and doing it right. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by church culture. And uh, last week up in Aberdeen, um, one of the charismatic churches there have just bought you know most of the Aberdeen Conference and Exhibition Centre. Great. Cost cost millions opened uh, without debt, no mortgage. It seems to me that churches that are more charismatic just seem to be more generous and, you know, have big building projects debt-free. I'm not hearing that in Presbyterian circles. Have you you got any theories? Yeah, I think I've I've got... I got one or two charismatic friends and there's a charismatic minister locally and he said to me the thing is with um you Calvinistic people is you you never put it to the test which is quite interesting and says you you never do anything in church life which unless God was in it would would fail and I think there has been you just look back at how the Lord has provided in different times and it's not just been finances it's been when kind of people with the right skills and the Lord has brought them. And it's been because we've relied on the Lord and we've prayed. And I'm, I'm sure like that, we see it in miniature, but I do think maybe our charismatic brothers on that front, they they seek to attempt great things for God, don't they? Um, and that is, that is an amazing thing. Um, sometimes I think, well, maybe their aims aren't great, but we we could do with a little bit more of that entrepreneurial um yeah do, do you think yeah is there a sense in which um the reform constituency have retreated i mean what's striking me these days is uh, the multiplicity of conferences is is all of the guys in blue suits and striped ties these days <laughs> I, you know we're just not getting out there among the people yeah, like I think, it, it, like it, what, I, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose one of the things is there's, there's not very many powerful reformed evangelistic preachers. Are there? So if you're going to have a conference, there's probably twenty or thirty people that you would have 
you know, ministers out there that you could have. But I, I do think evangelistic preachers who you know will will bring the gospel with um, light and heat, and um, will call on people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Not ask them to kind of sign up for a course or you know that sort of thing. I I don't I don't think there's very many in the reformed constituency like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm almost going to say name one. I, I mean, you, I can think of, you know, uh, our childhood. You think of Donald McLeod in a good day. Yeah. You think of Douglas McMillan, a uh, powerful evangelistic preacher. Yeah. You know, you, you can think of, you know, we had a podcast with Roger Carswell a few months ago, and uh, Roger and I had a good laugh. And Roger would say, Roger's not a Calvinist. He would, he would uh, happily have that discussion. I mean, do we have great evangelists in reform circles? Why? You know, the, the yeah. tradition that birthed C.H. Spurgeon, uh, yeah. which birthed the modern missionary movement. And yeah. yet, you know, we're talking about perichoresis in a conference with believers all the time. Yeah. Um, there, there are some people out there that you can you could ask to preach um and you you know what they will bring evangelistically, and you 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 know they'll do a good job. But they're probably not in the Reformed Presbyterian camp. Um, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's worrying, isn't, isn't that yeah. something to be worried yeah. about? Yeah, I think it is. I, like I think was it um, Jeff Thomas's little biography of Brownlow North? Have you got it? I have not got it. No, but it's absolutely yeah. it's it's just a brilliant, brilliant read and. Um, as I as I read it, I was just really convicted in just the lack of kind of my own evangelistic preaching and just people like Brownlow North, you know, um, like he's a one-off, isn't he? And the Lord raised him up, and and yet we should be praying that the Lord would would raise up men like him. Um, yeah, it's really worth getting the book. Now, in preaching. Is there room for passion and rhetoric, or is it just simply teaching the Bible and letting the Bible do its work? Uh, it's both, isn't it? It's 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 both. But there is, I think, there is room for passion and there is room for rhetoric. You have to, we have to be ourselves. Um, but there is, and we're we're all different personalities, and and sadly we're. You know, you look at the different kind of camps around and there's clones in each one, aren't there? And so it's difficult to find your own voice. But I think there's, we we want passion, we want rhetoric, and we want we want it to be accurate in teaching the Bible and, and we want it to be brought home forcefully in the power of the Spirit. So, yeah. And it's not an either or. I mean, both of us come from the Celtic tradition where, you know, you had in the Welsh and Scottish classic preaching tradition you real passion there tell me what were its strengths and weaknesses <laughs> that's an absolute hospital pass isn't it? um yeah. i i think so i i went to i went to cornhill i, I kind of um i've been to pro trust conferences i've really been blessed by them i when i was leaving wales to come to london i, I think i was struck that some of the preaching and definitely not all was was just not good at opening up the scriptures yeah. and expounding the scriptures and i think that that maybe was a weakness 
um, I think some of the teaching in the morning and gospel in the night, um, evangelistic kind of pick and mix texts. I'm I'm not convinced that 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 was helpful all the time. I think it's good sometimes to do it. Um, but I, like, I don't know. I, in some ways, the more I go on, the less I know about preaching, I feel. Um, so uh, as you're preaching the passage, are you, you're applying it all over the joint, are you? you? You're applying it to believers. You've got an evangelist. You, you're apologetic sidebars. Is, is that your mindset? Yeah, I'm, I'm not as structured as, as that. <laughs> Um, and that you apply it to the people in front of you, don't you? So, you know, we've got teenagers in the t- church who, who sometimes look pretty disinterested. We've got adults that look pretty disinterested. Um, you, you're, you're seeking to apply it to the people in front of you, and you recognise when there are visitors there. You rejoice when people have brought their neighbours with them or their friends, and they're slightly nervous. And and that's. I suppose I'm I'm reluctant. I know kind of applicatory grids um, that lots of guys use. I I find you, you preach to the congregation in front of you, and and hopefully you know the needs of them, and you apply a lot of it. I, I'm not I'm not particularly structured, as you can tell. <laughs> no, you're just hesitant because you don't want to offend people, and you're being coy <laughs> and polite, and that is really good. That shows that you're being you're being sanctified. You know, listeners, when, when Paul Levy pauses, it's not because he's thinking; it's because he's thinking, "Well, I better, I better not offend people here," and that that's good. That, that's a good thing. Let's talk about offense. Do, do you? I mean, you you are a straight talker. That's one of your endearing qualities you're you're candid you're you're upfront do you find that you expect people to be candid with you or do you get a bit offended when folk are actually honest with you no um uh, yeah i don't I, god has been really good in in that i i've i've got quite a thick skin and so um no i'm very i, I i'm not easily offended I think I worry. It's quite interesting. I, I worry about lots of things in church life in a really silly way, um, but I don't get offended. I, and I'm I'm not really bothered by people kind of outside the congregation and the denomination what they think. Um, I think I probably was at some point, but and that that is good, isn't it? So there are, there are there are certain type of conference speakers. We we won't name names, but. Um, they'll never say anything offensive because of the risk of that they'd never be asked to speak back at the com- at the conference or other conferences. And I, that kind of thing I can't handle. I, I abhor that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's God has been kind to me in that I've, I don't think I am easily offended, but then we all struggle in different ways. Don't we? I'm, I'm a worrier in a, in a really silly way. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, let's move on to just other fascinating things. You've got three children, Noah, mm. Ellie, and Phoebe. Now, Phoebe's Down syndrome. Um, yes. I, I, a lot of a lot of folk uh, are interested in that. Um, would mm. you mind just just talking us through how you felt when when Phoebe <laughs> was born? Can you can you talk us through? Yeah, just even like, how you. Yeah. 
how you feel with, with God and just a, about the whole experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was complete shock to us. Like, it was complete shock to me. Do you know, really interestingly, my wife was kind of born and bred Presbyterian. She she had an inkling that something was wrong. It's strange, isn't it? Um, yeah. And so when Phoebe was born, um, as soon as Claire held her, Claire said, or oh, she she looks really down. So I, like, I couldn't tell any difference. And then the nurse came in. I remember it's clear as day and she said Phoebe is beautifully healthy but we just want um to do some more tests and right. uh do you think that's then, code yeah and then and then the doctor like a few days confirmed I, like it's it's strange things that I remember going out and ringing my mum and uh lady who's a good friend of ours in the church and uh David Gibson who's the minister in Aberdeen those three and kind of crying through tears uh, saying we think she's got downs she was quite unwell that first month five weeks and that was she was in intensive care and it was a real roller coaster i i can generally say neither of us were angry at god and i don't think we ever asked the question i don't think we've ever asked the question why um there were lots of thought you know your fears what's this going to mean how are we going to cope with this how are we going to be able to do ministry um lots of kind of unfounded fears my wife's a speech and language therapist so she had some idea i was absolutely clueless um uh about down syndrome and so you know but it's it's a it's a wonderful thing isn't it so during those really difficult weeks i don't think i've ever felt the lord closer the, the church were just brilliant um and people wrote from all over the place, um, wonderful letters of encouragement. And then, and then Phoebe came out of hospital and gradually strengthened. And you begin to think, well, this is just different. Uh, it's different to what we'd planned and our dreams. And yet, you know, we are we believe God's in control, don't we? And God is sovereign and doesn't take away all the frustrations and some of the fears but he we we trust him and, and we've got through and she's she's terrific she when she might come in now she's in the garden playing um and you 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 just get on with living really um you know the whole fear about the future well none of us know do we um know and ellie who <laughs> Uh, uh, Phoebe's older siblings. We don't, we don't know what the future is for them. So you just trust the Lord and you 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 cope with the frustrations and, and enjoy the joys. What advice would you give to folk? I know that a lot of our listeners you yeah. will have a Down's child. Yeah. Some just recently. Just give us some pointers. Um, I th- I think the covenant. That, that God has promised to be our God and the God of our children, that 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 has meant and does mean um, an enormous amount to me. God loves Phoebe more than I do, and she's in his care. I also think let the church care for you and let the church love your little ones. And... Um, Sometimes when we go through difficulties, people can back off from the local church, can't they? And, and and don't do that. Do the opposite. Lean into the local church. And then 
be honest, there are there are there are difficult days, and there are days when you just you want to strangle them. Um, and uh, Phoebe's not potty trained, and I I particularly find that just really really frustrating. And there are limitations with the child with special needs, so you you can't always do what other families do, and um, the comparison game, the devil loves to get you playing that in other families are able to do loads, go for long hikes and uh, when we're not able to do that, but but that's okay. The Lord gives grace in other ways, but it's, it's many of the battles that we face in other areas, isn't it? But comparing ourselves to other families, I would, I would really encourage people not to do that. Um, have good friends that you can laugh with and, say the unsayable things to me yeah. but isn't comparison a killer you know you oh, go on to yeah, facebook absolutely. and yeah. you know folk curate their best lives <laughs> and you know and ministry is yeah. the absolute worst because everybody's yeah. got amazing ministries out there and you're yeah. stuck in nowhere's well just slogging away it's an idol comparison's an idol isn't it yeah no it is and um just the knowing yourself isn't it and knowing what what makes you tick what refreshes you in in ministry and um the the lord blessing others that's often very difficult to rejoice in isn't it but um we've we've got to do it but yeah you're right comparison it's just a killer yeah yeah um let's move on talk about just other things in the time we've got yeah. left um do you guys down in Ealing have a particular worship philosophy if so what is it <laughs> um I, I, I we wouldn't call it that i don't think but we would um we would sing a mixture of um, hymns and psalms. We we probably should sing more psalms and a mixture of hymns of praise and hymns of response and um, hymns of preparation. You know, for the preaching of the word. It, we we have a really kind of structured worship service. So, call to worship, uh, hymn of Trinitarian praise, uh, invocation, reading of the word. Um, normally a responsive hymn of praise to Christ and confession of sin, kind of liturgy, um, uh, assurance of pardon, uh, a, a hymn responding to God's grace, prayer. The, we're going through the Heidelberg Catechism this year, so that's our confession of faith, and then a hymn of preparation and then sermon, um, uh, and then a responsive hymn and benediction. And so it would be dialogical. It would be... Um, I, I want people to recognise they are involved in what they are participants, um, and a kind of reformed shape to the to the service um, where the where the movement of the gospel is woven into the service. Okay, so would you think would you put a little bit of time in preparing your service? It's not like the old days when you would three <laughs> minutes in, three minutes in the vestry before you go in knotting down four hymns in the back of the yeah and so i would um yeah it would it would take quite a bit of time and it would 
it, it means that you, you so it means that you need to know the kind of direction of your sermon before you plan the service and then you're kind of shaping it around that um yeah so normally uh the sunday morning services is kind of shaped by thursday morning and sunday evening kind of thursday afternoon um so yeah it, it does take a bit more time but it, that in, in lots of ways that's a that's a joy that's a real um I, I love that part of kind of church life and kind of ministry kind of thinking through how do we do corporate worship is a genre important i mean i often think of myself as being musically promiscuous and you know i like you know i like gregorian chants i like country yeah. i like folk i like rocky stuff you know i really uh, is, is that is that bad? Is that no, a bad taste? I don't, I, I, I don't. It needs to be done well, doesn't it? So, and also, um, each congregation is different. So, if you've there are some there are some songs, aren't there, which which would work well with a guitarist? Um, yeah. But if you haven't got a good guitarist, don't sing them. Um, yeah. Uh, and so you've got to play to your strengths. So ask ah. Uh, musicians at the moment are kind of more classical and so that's the the feel of the service and we're more comfortable with that i i, I think if somebody brought in a brilliant guitarist we we would want to use them but there's only two or three of them aren't there in, in the christian world um <laughs> and yeah. and none of them are in praise groups yeah <laughs> yeah that's exactly that's exactly right um and and you want to we want to sing things with depth. Um, but I, I do think that the, what you're hoping, what you're intending the hymn to be is quite important. And so there should be a difference between your opening praise and your, your kind of hymn of preparation before the sermon, yeah. if, if you know yeah. what I mean. And yeah. the hymn after the assurance of pardon for us that that should be a time of rejoicing and, and reveling in particularly the work of christ at that point um but yeah i'm no expert by any means yeah it's to get a god obsession and get a full christ and just i think you know the whole of our service folk have to come away and realize that jesus is you know the obsession to use the title of uh, david robertson's book the a glorious obsession yeah, you know, yeah. There's, no, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, and, well, yeah. So, so keep going. No, I forgot what I was going to say. You're right. Oh, yeah. you, what you were going to say was profound and it was going to end, <laughs> end the worship wars forever. <laughs> huh? Hi. Okay, no. we're, we're, we're moving towards, we've been going 40 minutes now. I'm, I'm really nosy. What are you reading at the moment? Um... What am I reading? I've just finished Al Martin's two volumes on pastoral theology. Um, ah, right, interesting. Yeah, I um, I think they're absolutely brilliant. I um, I, I've been terrified of Al Martin. You know, I grew up of tales of Al Martin, um, and as I read it, I was I wouldn't agree with everything, um, but his his first volume on the kind of character of the man of God just really humbling. He, he, you finished every chapter, both really challenged and encouraged. Lord, make, make me like this. Second volume on preaching was a little bit harder to read, but I thought, um, uh, you, you know, just talking about Al Martin there, um, 
He's one of these guys that I remember virtually every sermon I ever heard from him. And he was yeah. immensely practical. You know, yeah. he did a great sermon on hospitality. Uh, in fact, knowing our man is probably a series of 20 sermons on yeah. hospitality. Yeah. You know, use of the tongue, kind of 40 sermons. You know, but really, and that was a day when growing up in the free church, I didn't hear much practical application. Yeah. So, you know, I went to Al Martin for that. So, what else are you reading? Um, uh, what else am I reading? I'm reading uh, McShane's, uh, so the memoirs and remains of McShane. I'm reading that with okay. some of our church staff. And mm-hmm. um, that's been, And then I'm reading, I'm reading the worst biography of a, of a Christian leader I think I've ever read. I'm reading Leyland Rikin's book on Jim Packer. Um, okay, right. And it, it is, it's astonishingly bad. Um, is it hagiography or what makes it well, bad? It, like, it's more about Leyland Riken than Jim Packer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it talks about, you find out about the books that he wrote and his rhetoric, his style of writing and um, all those things. Uh, Jim Packer supposedly had two children, but you, you don't find that out in the book. Um, ah. uh, and so it's a biography where... Um, he, yeah, I know. I know nothing more of like I've read. I read the Alice McGraw one and um, Brits Lloyd Jones one. Um, it it makes the kind of Ian Murray biographies of Lloyd Jones look really critical. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, like it's just, it's yeah. I'm I'm baffled by how it got published, really. So yeah. yeah, uh you know, here we are, you're just warming up, Paul, and, <laughs> know, and we and we have to close down. So maybe <laughs> maybe that is providential because you know we, we don't want the all the reform litigants under the sun going on to social media uh, claiming yeah. about really you know. the, the little the little bit of criticism of America and and, <laughs> and you close the interview down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love America, don't you? <laughs> that's a, that's an, another story. Paul, thank you um, so much. For those of you who don't know Paul, please Google International Presbyterian Church Ealing and you'll get an insight into a great church. Paul is uh, a superb preacher. I heard him recently on tape, a sermon he did on Isaiah 53. Um, it was so good I copied it and uh, I'm <laughs> thankful to him so uh, I think he probably copied it from someone else yeah totally yeah uh, Paul uh, thanks a lot and no thank you day. thanks very much indeed okay listeners thank you very much for listening and please join us we are published most Thursday so please join us again next week God bless and have a great day <laughs> <laughs>